Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to video number 81 and audio season four, episode 19 of Music Is Not a Genre. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening and watching. Don't forget you can support this podcast three different ways uh, by going to patreon.com slash music is not a genre and signing up there. That I would love that. You get exclusive content, early releases of both audio and video of every single podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash music is not a genre for the audio podcast every episode there. And it gives you an opportunity to donate any amount you want. Uh, everything you donate helps support all the time and effort I put into creating all of this. And as always, you can see most of what I do at my hub, youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo. Let's get right to it. Uh, as you can hear, uh, my voice is a little tired, and it's because I had a couple of gigs this past weekend, and I'm rehearsing for another couple of gigs coming up. So it's a busy time of year, busy, just busy in general, for whatever reason. And, um, you know, I'm a little tired, but I'm excited about this. I think it's the perfect uh, podcast to do when you're tired, because it's kind of hard to stay tired when you're talking about this particular subject. And for those of you just listening who can't see my display here, the title is Eminem, one of the greatest poets of all time. Notice the question in that? Yeah, so I might answer it. I don't know. So I do, as you know, I have various versions of this podcast. The primary one is me going into my collection and choosing an artist, usually more than one album, to discuss and dissect and break down in, in a certain way, maybe not in a conventional way or in the way other people do, but in a, you know, I have an angle for it, right? Some of those artists are easier than others. Some are just utterly overwhelming to tackle. Uh, Prince was one, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, you know, the Beatles will be when I get there. Matthew Sweet was one. Chicago uh, was one. And I plan on doing a, another Chicago episode sometime, probably next year. Uh, and those are because, primarily because, they all mean so much to me. All those artists mean so much to me that to get beyond the, the breadth and depth of what I know and feel about them and distill it into 30 to 60 minutes is not easy, right? There are other reasons why artists are overwhelming, though. If another example would be just sheer volume. Uh, people like Dylan or Zappa, Johnny Cash, even Willie Nelson, you know, Dolly Parton, another great example. Huge bodies of work just to imagine to create a podcast and put 
you know, get enough of a spin on all of that and distill it again into such a short amount of time is, is overwhelming uh, in some ways. Maybe not as overwhelming, though, as the first batch, because, though, you know, again, when you're close to something, it's a little harder to dissect it. And on that note about volume, I was doing research, you know, who put out the most albums. Apparently, Buckethead holds the record with 166. It may be more by now. I don't know when that number was put out. But all right, Buckethead, yes, keep creating. Uh, you know, Eminem, this week's subject, is is overwhelming for a slightly different reason. And it's, well, maybe two reasons. One is there are so many angles to take on this. We can talk about the controversy. We can talk about is there some element of, you know, the controversy in his lyrics and, you know, and, and content and all that. Uh, we can talk about is there some element of appropriation and, uh, you know, the, the, what he does. We can, we can talk about uh, his personal life. We can talk about all of the, the music itself and the work he did with Dr. Dre and beyond and the people, the stewardship and other people that he, you know, grew up with or other artists that he's worked with and helped, uh, you know, turn or career for, but, and I may touch on some of those things today, but of course I'm picking possibly the hardest, which is his lyrics, but not in particular, uh, let me recite a bunch of lyrics and, and dissect meaning and all of that stuff, but to harken back to the title of this, his lyrics in the context of poetry and whether or not, you know, A, you think that his lyrics are poetry, or B, you think any music lyrics at all are poetry, or are only some poetry. And I did a podcast on this a while back, and I will absolutely touch on that question for sure. But the reason why I framed this podcast in this way is because, as usual, and I've said this about other you know, music topics, music, popular music often gets short shrift when it comes to comparing it to, you know, literary masterworks or things that are considered more highbrow. I did a, a podcast called the, you know, the no, the no brow approach. And that is 100% because I believe that while there is a distinction in delivery and the way something is presented in the language that's used and things like that, I don't think that I think that the distinction between highbrow, lowbrow, middlebrow, that is all just false, and it's all very uh, uh, subjective and judgmental. And in the case of Eminem here, what it really does is it kind of, you know, sheds a negative light on what otherwise might be considered just just lyrics, just uh, and and in in my mind, to my mind, poetry. And uh, and I'll get right. Let me just get this out of the way right now, since I keep bringing this up. And that is that I do consider all lyrics a form of poetry. Do I consider all lyrics great poetry? No. Do I, do I think all lyrics aspire to be poetry? No. But if, to, to me, the difference between prose and poetry is poetry has within it a musicality to it, even if it's not related to music, the way that you express yourself within poetry, you are deliberately finding rhythms and certain sounds that go together, and that's very musical. And so even if you're talking about, 
again, uh, you know, Louie Louie, a song as simple as that, or you're talking about the works of Bob Dylan, in each case, there, there was an aspiration to create something musical in the words that are being used. And so, yes, I think all music is a form of poetry. Uh, I think anybody who says otherwise believes that legit poetry deserves some kind of a higher place in the pantheon of artistic works. And I couldn't disagree more because, you know, there's as much uh, bad poetry as there is bad music lyrics. And they may be bad for different reasons, but they may not, you know. So that's where I'm starting from, that all lyrics are poetry. In, and in the case of Eminem, if you know anything about Eminem, you know he is he is just incredibly dexterous, incredibly dexterous. You can even go talk about his freestyling and how someone could come up with lyrics as quickly as he could. And I, yes, I understand that if you look at the top of my thing here, I have a kind of an auxiliary uh, CD pick here, 8 Mile, because of how popular it made him. And that may actually contain his most famous or second or third most famous song, uh, ironically not on any of his albums, and that there were scenes in there where he his character freestyled and all that, but that came from a, a place of truth in his past, you know, and, that, and, and that's not even what I'm talking about. His ability to craft a lyric and what he does with those words is as poetic and as accomplished as, as many of the great poets. You know, I, I actually was going to call this podcast is he the greatest selling poet of all time? But he's not. And I don't actually don't think he may, if you count sheer numbers, he may fall somewhere in the top 10 or 20, but I didn't look this up. All I saw was that, you know, it's estimated that the poems of Shakespeare, works of Shakespeare, have sold two and four billion copies over the centuries. And then you have, you know, some of the other greats, and I can't remember the list because I decided not to call it that because that was just not the case. Uh, but as far as him being a wordsmith, uh, just a master of wordplay, uh, you can, you know, and, and creating stories, creating characters, his flow, his dexterity, and his, and his clarity, not just clarity in, in, in how he speaks and raps, but clarity of, uh, of expression, of intent, of what he's trying to say can be very, you know, the words can turn in on each other and the meanings can turn in on each other. But when you really read it and, or listen to it, you see, oh, there's a very clear meaning here or several often. But I wrote down, uh, you know, some uh, um, terms, internal rhymes, near rhymes, alliteration, assonance and consonance, multisyllabic rhyming, especially all poetic, uh, you know, terms and, and techniques. And he uses them all. And yes, many other lyricists use them all. Uh, I've used them all. But he takes particular care to pack in as much as he possibly can in a way that just blows your mind every time you listen to it. Uh, density was the word I used, that, that his lyrics are so dense, his approach to lyr lyr lyricism is so dense, that that's what's overwhelming about this. So I enlisted uh, my brother, Dave, to help me out, give me some examples of lyrics. 
sadly, I, I can't find them. I, I may put them uh, in a comment or something. So, Dave, you're listening. Sorry. Uh, I don't know what I did with them, but I did uh, actually put a lyric down here myself as an example that I thought was, you know, kind of pulled in a lot of the, those terms, techniques that I mentioned. Uh, my pen and paper cause a chain reaction to get your brain relaxed in the zany act and maniac in action, a brainiac. In fact, son, you mainly lack attraction. You look insanely whack when just a fraction of my tracks run. Now I counted nine multisyllabic near rhymes in there. And that's, that's insane to me. And that may not even be the best example of the things he does. But I can remember when I first heard him that it was the lyricism that blew me away the most. And, and, and the, his ability to get all of that out and not trip over it and, and just and do it with emotion. Absolutely incredible. It's never wrote. He never just, oh, I need to get this out. You know, it's he's, you know, comes it comes at it from every angle and does incredibly well. Uh, I read this uh, thing said in 2015 music match which is the lyric company so if you see lyrics uh now on spotify it's because of them and other places if you look up lyrics it's you're usually getting it from them uh that eminem of all well-known uh music acts has the largest vocabulary with over 8800 unique words used uh second is jay-z with about 2,000 fewer than that. Still amazing. And it turns out that the top four were all hip-hop artists. I'm forgetting one. I know, I think Kanye was one of them, and then there was a fourth one. Uh, And then the fifth was Dylan. And yeah, I mean, partly that's just volume, but partly, yes, of course it's Dylan, you know. And and if people usually think of music and musician slash poet, they often think of Dylan or or Leonard Cohen, people like that. And that is an example of intent and desire to want to communicate in a way that's as comprehensive as possible. And now, listen, I'm not dancing around any other issue because, A, I feel like these other issues have been talked to death about. But, you know, B, I, I think that while they are significant, they're a sidebar to all of this. And, you know, that's because we can debate content, you know, till we die. And for centuries after, the content of some of the greatest works in history is still debated. And part of that is because each new era puts it in a different context. And I think it's important to reinterpret things or to understand the context in which it was created so that you can pull from it its value without trashing the entire thing because of some, you know, cultural thing, acknowledging that it has some deficiency in what it's saying, but, but still acknowledging its greatness in some way. And I think with Eminem, the first thing is that there is there might be some legitimate legitimacy to people saying, well, there, there's a certain level of shock value and some of that, or when he disses other celebrities, other acts, I think that that's, yeah, that's a very common hip hop thing, but I, I think I, that never felt like something 
And I remember thinking when he started doing that, oh, wow, he's searching, you know, because he had a day, greatest selling, you know, musician at that point, I think, or in this century. And that surprised me and even disappointed me in a little way, you know. But other than that, most of the content that's criticized has to do with how disturbing it is. And the thing is, Eminem demands that you listen beneath the surface and demands when I say like hits you in the face over and over and over and over again with the things he's saying and how he says it. And it can be very, uh, you know, deadening. It can, it can really dull the senses if you are taking it as an assault, as a barrage of negativity. But if you're really listening or reading, I suggest reading in this case only, which is where I rarely do that because it takes it out of the way it's being delivered and lets you take it at your own pace. So you can really take in the meaning. Most of what he's saying is, you know, pointing out, he's an illustrator of the grotesque, pointing out the twisted terror of, you know, what's inside so many people and the way people act and how people think of others you know, misogyny and homophobia and violence and, and, and so many things that are horrific. Uh, you know, his persona and who he is are often very much confused. And part of that's by design. And it's the kind of the, you know, in almost the court jester way. Uh, but a, a lot of it is just mistaken. And I think that, you know, understand the context of what he's saying even a song like stan where you get okay it's it's clever but it's also an illustration of something on purpose the way what you know tv shows and movies do the way you know country songs sing about you know killers other types of music you know even pop you know i don't know maxwell silver hammer is there's a good example serial killer right and plenty of books and poems the fact that this is done in in hip-hop and in a way that is so aggressive uh, might put some people off but i think it's also a bit of a bias there and so i i you know talk to me if you want about the controversy but i just don't think that it's I don't think it's germane and relative to, to really anything significant at this point. It's like with video games, violent video games, then just don't buy them, you know, or don't watch whatever you think is, if that's not for you. But if it is, or if you find like you want to know more, then listen more deeply and understand. Either try to understand or admit that you aren't putting in the effort is really how I feel about that. Uh, quick notes uh, that I overlooked because of my exhaustion. Uh, I put down some uh, other uh, people down here, it's particularly Catherine mentioned uh, Stephen Sondheim, Lin-Manuel Miranda. When you listen to Eminem's lyrics and Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, uh, admits that he was influenced by so many great artists, including Eminem. And I don't think he was certainly the primary one, but he was one of them. And you can see the connection there. You can see how when you read or listen to Sondheim's lyrics, the, the just where they go is just in, insanely genius. And yeah, he just died. So I'm kind of glad that there was a reason to bring him up here. And thank you, Catherine, for pointing that out. 
Uh, when I looked online to try to find, tried to find one thing about Eminem, which is uh, somebody, and I think it, I want to say it was my brother, was talking to me, yeah, and that's why I'm doing this, is because my brother suggested about uh, comparing him to some of the great poets and, and all that. And he mentioned somebody, but I don't know if it was because he thought that Eminem's style sounded like that great poet. So I looked up, well, has anybody compared his poetry to anyone and said, oh, there's some direct parallels here? Yes and no. He's been, his lyrics have been dissected against Shakespeare and Robert Frost and T.S. Eliot, Ezra Pound, an obscure dude, John Skelton, who was into free verse. And they, you know, that I think is all valid dissection. And I'm glad that the connections are being made there because it's what I'm trying to do here. But no one has yet come up with, oh, the, you know, the, the, the ancestor of this, you know, type of, of uh, expression that Eminem is doing is such and such. And I'd like to know more about that you know, funding for the arts, uh, funding for this podcast would enable me to take a week out and do nothing but research this. Uh, but, uh, you know, as, as I said in a different podcast, put the, put the money up, let's do the study, you know, I'm, I'm ready. And uh, beat poetry, of course, and, you know, uh, fr free verse, slam poetry, freestyle, which I mentioned before, I think all of these things are connected, and I think there is a through line. And I think 50 years from now, 100 years from now, when someone looks back on any of hip-hop, but particularly hip-hop that today is considered controversial or aggressive or in some ways disturbing, they will see the vast majority, if not all of it, as folk stories, as storytelling as characterizing. No, not all of it. Yes, there's a lot of misogyny and homophobia in hip hop, but again, there's a lot of that in other types of music too. It, um, it's, there's, it's, there's not a fairness in singling that out. Uh, a quick note about something else that I find wonderful about Eminem uh, is his humor. And again, I credit uh, the part of bringing this in uh, to Catherine because we had this discussion and I believe she said that any artist who can incorporate humor in what they do is a fully evolved artist, is a more evolved artist. And you can tell me artists are not in the music realm for which that is true, and I will likely agree with you. But for me, I'm thinking of people like some of my favorites and Bob Dylan, uh, Prince, The Beatles, Bob Dylan, all of those people have incorporated humor in what they do. They, they have shown that it's possible to be, quote unquote, self-serious and self-deprecating. Uh, you know, meaningful and ridiculous, goofy. And that is a mark, I think, of an evolved artist. I remember, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I've had humor straight through, you know, from since from the beginning of me writing songs. But it took me a while to release a lot of that humor publicly. Most of what I chose in my uh, earlier recordings was a little self-serious and a little like, oh, people are, you know, not going to understand the context. That's on me. That's not on the world. I, you know, I eventually understood how I could incorporate humor into the things I was doing. And, you know, just a couple of albums in, 
really started having that be a regular part of any of my albums. Not certainly not every song, but at some some part of every album. And listen, like it or not, and I, and the thing is, Eminem's humor runs the range from self-deprecating to shock humor to potty mouth humor to very you know intelligent like you got to listen again humor and and you know all those levels. I think that it is also a mark of an evolved listener if they can identify humor in music, understand that it doesn't make the music any less, you know, good or serious or important, and also know how to take a joke, you know, and, and, and understand when things are being uh, placed in a humorous context and not meant to be taken seriously, which is a risk I think all artists take, and I think it's an absolutely worthy risk. There are a lot of controversial comedians who, uh, you know, will talk about serious issues and are misinterpreted because people don't understand the joke. And then there are a lot of other comedians who aren't very good at framing that joke or doing it for the wrong reasons. But I think that the attempt is worthy. And and so before I get into the last part, which you always know is about, you know, how this has influenced me, just a quick, I'm not going to go through a very detailed discography here, but uh, he, he released an album, uh, Infinite, in 1996, which did terrible uh, business. And it took him another three years to pull it together and create uh, the Slim Shady, which just launched him. And, and Marshall Mathers, you know, kind of the one-two punch right there. Uh, by the time he got to the Eminem show, he was doing Eight Mile. So that was probably one of his biggest years, if not his biggest year, uh, for so many reasons. And then uh, that was a, a, a peak, I would say, probably his biggest peak. And then he released Encore, which is here, right next to my face. And that was considered a bit of a dip. And that was actually the one where I thought, oh, man, you know, he's starting to get a little bit more into kind of the dissing game and all of that. And, and you know, hey, artists have their reasons. I think part of the reason was because there was a lot of pressure. And to be that successful, there's a lot of pressure. And also following up something so big. And he was going through personal issues. And we know that because he then took a five-year hiatus partly to go into drug rehab and kind of, you know, get himself together, which to, as far as I know, he, he did. He, he released here, relapse and recovery. And I remember thinking, great to hear him again, relapse, even better to hear him in recovery. I thought recovery was, he had more solid footing and it was a bit of a stronger album, in my opinion, you know. And then a couple of years later, as you know, I keep saying, I stopped buying CDs in 2011. So in 2013, he released Marshall Mathers LP2. At the time, it was not a great year for me. So I, I wasn't necessarily following uh, him at the time. So that's probably something that I need to go back and revisit. Uh, let me know what you think of it, though, uh, if you've heard it already. And then in 2017, Revival which I believe was solid and kamikaze the following year, which I remember liking uh, not as much as my brother liked it, but liked it quite a bit. And there were some real uh, highlights on there for me. And then his album from last year, Music to be Murdered By, which has so much humor in it, the title itself, you know. What's cool is 
he did this thing at the beginning which incorporated uh, a voiceover that sounded a lot like Alfred Hitchcock. And I thought, oh man, what a great impersonator because he said the name of the album and everything. And then I did the research and it was actually Alfred Hitchcock because he did a thing called Music to be Murdered by. So it was kind of based on that. And if, you know, if you know enough about Alfred Hitchcock, you understand that as scary as the stuff he did and all that, he had a giant streak of humor in him, especially if you remember watching his TV show, which I did in reruns. Uh, and there were some real awesome gems in there. And you can, you can hear, you know, Eminem kind of searching for new things and maybe, you know, what I would hope is entering into kind of a new era where he is back to telling some serious stories and stuff like that, along with the humor and making it personal uh, he gets political, which I think is awesome. Uh, that's not something that he had always done before, and he kind of grew into that in these last few albums. And I think these days that's kind of important uh, for any artist, especially that kind of, uh, And that's, yeah, that's this, the quick kind of rundown I wanted to. I also want to make mention of somebody named Julia Forrester, who did uh, a comparison of the elements of poetry in, uh, you know, Eminem's lyrics. And I think just look that up, Julia Forrester, uh, you know, breaking down the elements of poetry, uh, the elements of poetry in Eminem's lyrics. Uh, Man, I can't read everything that I wrote. And I think it's important uh, to kind of help flesh out what I'm saying here in a way that's more intelligent than I can do it, because this is somebody who actually studies poetry. And even though I was a poet for many, 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 many years, and that did inform and continues to inform my lyrics, I gave it up quite a while ago and kind of through all of that, you know, uh, desire and mental process and everything into my lyrics and other things that I write. Speaking of which, Yes, from the moment I heard Eminem to to understand that somebody could tell stories like that and use words like that in hip hop, he maybe wasn't the first and certainly not the last, but he was the first one that came to my attention. And we could talk about the fact that, you know, he's white and and all of that. But I think that's been discussed to death, too. And I think, again, when I had the podcast on appropriation, anybody who who comes at it from a genuine place and is not just using a certain type of music as a tool to get somewhere is cool by me. And if you, you know, whatever you want to say about love him or hate him, you hopefully understand that he's coming at it from a place of strong desire to be doing this, you know, and from, from how he grew up and the way he listened to music. Uh, and so when I heard that, the, the acrobatics, I thought, oh, well, I need to figure out how to do that myself, you know, whether or not I'm doing hip hop music. That idea of internal rhyming and multisyllabic, multisyllabic rhyming is something that's become like a late game favorite for me or a current favorite, however you want to classify what I'm doing now. Uh, you know, things twisting in on each other and, and, you know, reusing a certain sound in a different place in a line and all of that. You can hear that on a lot of what I've done. I, you know, I try to keep my lyrics 
uh, a combination of matter and matter of fact, poetic and playful. And if you and, and I and I think uh, you can interchange those and say which one is more important than the other, depending on the song and the lyric. But I think I do a fairly good job of achieving that in any type of music that I do. You can name check songs like Stop It from Parts and Labor, uh, my band Rex album Parts and Labor, Never Tell from Distance to Empty, Different People from the Sunshine Seminar. But in particular, I'm going to single out uh, a song from one of my last releases, uh, Rex Syncope for the Weird, called Sing Out. And that's spelled S-I-N-G, sing, and out, O-W-W-T. Look it up anywhere, you'll find it. And yeah, it's a it's a hip hop song. It's a you know it it's also kind of a dance song. It's a fun song. It's a goofy song. It's a silly song. Also inspired by something that uh, Catherine did. Catherine's on that song as well as my son Will. Uh, there's a passage in there that came to me, and it was in very large part influenced by Eminem and certainly people who came after Eminem who who liked the multi-syllabic rhyming. And I'm just going to kind of recite it here so you can get a sense of what I'm talking about. But as always, I'm going to put this song at the end of the podcast so you can listen to the whole thing and hear these lyrics in context because I actually rap sing them there and you can, you'll get that in the recording. I'm a little bit crazy. Weird shit doesn't phase me. You'd have to amaze me. Like maybe be Jay-Z. Shout out all the ways we turn nights into days, see? But I'm in the grays, D. Shadows where my mind plays free. Sing out this phrase, geez, in 13 different ways, please. And then this third, we do the same phrase, sing out in 13 languages. Uh, and it's just a fun, goofy, happy song. Um, but it, I think that even in other lyrics in this song, you'll see the influence that I'm talking about. And I'd love to know your opinion of it. I'd love to know what you think of this podcast of Eminem. Uh, if you... I read this, you know, uh, forum online from years ago, about 10 years ago, back and forth about whether or not Eminem's lyrics are poetic. Is he a poet? Is he great? And then kind of getting into the broader idea of whether or not music lyrics themselves are poetry and everyone had their different opinion, which is to say, I want to hear yours. I want to know where you stand on any of this, on all of this. Do you like Eminem? Do you know Eminem at all? Do you like this kind of music? Uh, do you Are you able to look beyond the shock value and controversy of Eminem or any artist and value what they do more holistically? Or is it too off-putting? Is it a wall that is put up? You just can't get past it. Uh, discuss, discuss. Please comment, let me know, because, uh, and you'll probably be in a future podcast with that new series I, I introduced last week, because as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you for spending this time with me, and I have one more podcast before the end of the year, which will be next week.
doing a good thing. I'm in a foot race, and I'm winning. I'm making one move, fist it, bit it, and then watch me take over this city. It's not a master plan, I'm ever faster than I gotta be Cause no one's faster than me I'm the third eye, third eye, yeah I know the scheme I say it cause it makes me sound supreme I'm in a rollercoaster inching up the track Going so chick forward, no going back I'm holding on so quietly The riot be riling up inside of me Every inch up there's a little tick But I can't hear the sound cause my beats are thick And when I make it up to the highest beam Hands up and it's time to scream I gotta sing every it out Every little thing I do is I'm magic so Cause out of my mouth My beats are so thick That I can't stay down And you can't escape it either Cause it's surround sound I'm a little bit crazy Which it doesn't faze me You have to amaze me Like maybe Big Jay-Z Shout out all the ways We turn nights into days But I'm in the graze deep Where my mind plays racing out this phrase G's in 13 different ways Please It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 